You know, Andrew, if you didn't, um, if you didn't go ahead with that last hymn, I was going to tell you to because Kathy sings it at home all the time. <laughs> and, and I knew if, if it wasn't sung that that's the first thing she would tell me. Oh, I have to wait till next week until I listen to that song and get to sing it at the chapel. So I appreciate you continuing on. And Kathy now, you know, got to sing the song. Um, the last couple times I spoke, um, they've been on different topics. Before I left for Louisiana, I was taking a, uh, a study of the IMs in John's Gospel. And getting back, there were some things that the Lord had put on my heart that had put that, those messages on hold, per se. And uh, I've continued the study, and uh, we will continue the messages going forward, uh, Lord willing. Tonight we'll be speaking out of John chapter 11, so if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 11, we're going to be talking about uh, another Lazarus. Rick spoke about uh, Lazarus out of Luke, the poor beggar. I'll be speaking of the one whom Jesus loved, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. The interesting thing in this study is that the Lord reveals certain things about his character, what he's truly like what he feels in his heart when he's having these discussions with people. He's, he really wants the people that he loves to get to know him. And he's revealing these I am statements so that there'll be a little thing that they can hold on to, something that they can remember about the Lord. And it's something that speaks very, very powerfully about what the Lord's desire is for us and what's the Lord's desire, period. Why he came, what he was doing, what was his purpose and in the end, we know that we are to be like him. And that is the goal of the Christian life, to be like the Lord, to be a servant of our Father in heaven, to do the works of God. These are the things that we strive after. Hopefully, we strive after spiritually-minded things. And I think we received a great message this morning from our brother Rick on how to manage our time, our money, the things that God has given to us, are we managing those things with eternity in view? And I think many of us walked away from that a little depressed because it's a reminder. It's a reminder to us that this is not our home. It's a reminder to us that all this is going to go away, the worries that we have, the cares, the struggles. And when we think about it, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that it's all going to be done away with. It's all going to be gone. And Lord, come right now. But the Lord has a purpose. And the Lord will not come until his purpose is fulfilled. And we can thank him for the continued mercy that we have and the grace that he is still showing the world that many can be brought unto him. We'll begin reading John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The one interesting thing about Lazarus is nothing that he said is recorded we really don't know anything about Lazarus other than the Lord loved him. We have no personality quirks. We have no thing, service that he did for the Lord. We know about Mary and Martha, and the joke was made that we're well, living with two women. Of course, we have nothing recorded of him saying anything. 
It's a terrible joke. Yeah, it's a terrible joke. But there must be some truth to that. This idea that, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Didn't say Lazarus is sick. He whom thou lovest is sick. And it says, when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And that's a striking thing that happens. He abode two days. He didn't leave immediately. He didn't jump the gun. He didn't rush to the scene. He didn't just take care of it. There was a purpose behind what he was doing. And it was all being done for the glory of God. I doubt that anyone other than the Lord understood what he was doing at that time. It didn't make any sense. Why would he wait? If you love this person, why aren't you there? Why aren't you helping? We know that the Lord was chased out of Jerusalem. They wanted to stone him. Last time he was there, he had uh, made statements that him and the Father were one, and that he was claiming deity, I am. And we see that they picked up things to stone him. They tried to grab hold of him, but he left, and he went to the other side of, of Jordan, into the place where John had first baptized, and there he abode. So he was away. Uh, they estimate about uh, 18 miles, which they tell me is about a day's hike. I've never hiked 18 miles in one day to get from town to town, but I know Andrew McKay, and I know that he could do it in a day. So I believe it when I, when I read it. And this idea, I went on a hike yesterday. I just want to bring this up, side story, with, with Ricky and Danny and the, the Brooks boys and Logan and we went and hiked that uh, Ice House Canyon. That was a tough hike. You know, three and a half miles, it was uphill all the way, and then three and a half miles back, you know, kids falling down. We go from sand to stone to ice coming back. It was, it was a tough hike. But anyway, it was about a day's hike away from, uh, from where Lazarus was. But he abode two days. He waited. He was calculated. He knew exactly what he was doing. How many of us, when we get a burden from the Lord, want to act right away? We want to just jump into it. Let's, let's get this ball rolling. Let's get started. Some of us take the opposite approach. Okay, let's wait. Let's take our time and let's figure these things out. But then all of a sudden it seems that the people that jump in right away don't have a plan of how things are going to go and haven't sought the Lord and things fizzle out. Or they wait too long, don't get anything going, and all of a sudden they wind up when the burden is gone and has been given to somebody else, and somebody else takes the place and gets the blessing. So the fear we have is, are we not moving quick enough? Are we moving too slow? What does the Lord want us to do? What is his desire? We see here that the Lord knew exactly what to do for the glory of God to wait. And I think the question that we often neglect is, why does God give us this burden? How does he intend to get the glory in this work? And am I striving so that everything is to the glory of God? These are all things that our Lord Jesus Christ 
knew ahead of time. So in verse 6, it says, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days, still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking, of taking rest and sleep. So this idea of the Lord tells them, we need to go now. We wait two days, okay, now we can go. And he says, Lazarus is in a sleep. They say, oh, he'll do well then. They think he's going to get better if he's resting. That's a good thing. But he didn't understand that Lazarus had died. And we know that when the Lord gets there, he had been dead four days. He had been buried. This idea that we have of timing, the Lord's will, walking with the Lord. The disciples were doing the right thing and asking questions. But they weren't necessarily waiting around long enough to hear the answers. What was going on, what was being said. And we see that the Lord often asked many questions many piercing questions, the reason he waits, the reason he asks questions, and the reason he does things the way that he does things is so that we can benefit. That's the Lord's ministry throughout this whole time. He prays out loud so that we can hear for our benefit. He comes to earth robed in flesh to die on the cross for our benefit. All these things that he's doing. So this is how we learn of him. He takes the time he calculates, then he goes. Now it's time. So they say, uh, verse 14, then said, La- then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Well, why go now? He's already dead. That's what I would ask. Are we just going to go and comfort them? Why didn't we go two days ago? We see that these questions weren't really brought up. And these are all questions that are running through my mind. Are we just going to go there to comfort? Why didn't we go two days ago? If he's already dead, we could have comforted them at that time. But these aren't the questions they ask. It says, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. See, the disciples thought this whole time that they weren't going back to Lazarus was because they were going to take Jesus and they were going to kill him. So they got out so that that wouldn't happen. But now we get message that Lazarus is sick and we stay here two days, but now we're going to go back after he's already died. Things aren't really adding up here for the disciples. And it's interesting that Thomas is really only mentioned in the Gospel of John And this is where we learn what Thomas is like. A lot of things happen in the Gospel of John that don't take place in the other Gospels. And we really get to know a lot of people that we didn't get to know anywhere else. Thomas is one of them. So he says, 
here, let us also go that we may die with him. They're ready to go and die with the Lord. We see that Peter also made a similar comment. I will never leave you even if I have to give my life for it. We'll continue in verse 17. It says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. That's Lazarus. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha had her, her doctrine correct. She had her theology correct. She knew that there was going to be a resurrection. She knew that they were going to dwell in the land. She knew that there were promises from God that were given to the children of Israel that were going to be fulfilled. But yet she was so, so sad that her brother had died. Knowing that he would be resurrected the last day. And the burden I have when I read this passage... I'm sure is a burden that many of you either have or have had in the past and have overcome, and I pray that I will overcome it, is that when I approach the Word of God, I'm not looking for doctrine and theology to make sure everything is systematically correct so that I can answer the questions in the correct way and have this debate where I can stump non-believers and Christians alike where I can work out this systematic theology that just blows people away. What good is that for? What good has it ever done? I pray that when I approach the word of God, the goal is to see Christ, see my Lord and Savior for who he is, that I may know him, that I might not just open this book to learn more things, but that I may have a relationship with a person that grows continually. Because you see, when Martha approaches the Lord, she knows if, if the Lord had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Why? Because Jesus could have healed Lazarus. She'd seen him heal, who knows, thousands of people. But he wasn't there. How many times have we been in a situation where we look around and we say to ourselves, Lord, where are you? I need you now. I didn't need you five minutes ago. I don't need you ten minutes. I need you right now. Where, where are you? This is the question that Martha had when she sent the letter out. I'm sure she was expecting the Lord to come as soon as he could. Don't you love us? Where are you? And it's a very saddening question. Where were you? I needed you. You see, Mary didn't even come out of the house. She stayed. Martha came out to meet the Lord. I don't know why that is. I don't know what was in Mary's heart, why she didn't come. Maybe she was overcome with grief and 
at the time she couldn't leave. Or maybe she was too afraid to believe that the Lord finally did come. Martha, we see, goes out and meets the Lord outside of town. And she has, like I say, all of these things correct. She knows the promises of God and she believes in the promises of God. But one thing she's forgotten is who the Lord is, who she's talking to. All these promises, all these things, the word of God, all the prophets, the law, all the things that were spoken of that would take place. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It's not about theology. It's not about doctrine. It's, not, it's about Christ. Christ is the resurrection and the life. These are the things that we strive after. Are we alive? Do we have new life? These are the things I struggle with in my quiet time with the Lord. These are the things that when I get up to go to work and come back and, and have a, a ministry in the evening and go home and read a little bit and then go to sleep and wake up and do it all over again, where it seems like all the hours of the day are filled and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can for the Lord. Is that the life that Christ intended me to have? Is this what he gave me new life for? so that I could do these things in this way and continue on. And when I stand before him, and I will stand before him, how am I going to feel at that time? I sat down with the little brigader, and we were going over uh, the things that he was supposed to be studying, the things that he was supposed to be memorizing, and he hadn't done any of those things. So we were going through Colossians uh, chapter 3, that's their memorization chapter that we have for the camp morale. And we get to the first verse, and I kind of ask them, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Care to elaborate? You got any more than I don't know? If somebody asked you, what would you tell them? If somebody asked you anything about the Lord, what would you tell them? Well, you know, you need to go to church. And uh, you need to pray for forgiveness. And you need to, you know, be a good person. I'd say, so you'd lie to him like everybody else lies to him? You would tell him those things? And he kinda, then he kind of wakes up and all of a sudden he's on the spot and he's getting nervous. You wouldn't tell him, you know, do you know who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me about him. What did he do? What was he like? This idea of we, we seem to have given people the right answers. They know what to say. They've figured out the code. They can speak our language. They understand what we mean when we say certain things. And they can repeat it back to us just fine. But they've never met the Lord. And you can tell. They don't know what he's like. And that's what scares me. Are we just doing things because we've heard other people say that these are what Christians do? Or are we doing these things because this is what the Lord did, and I know this is what the Lord would have for me to do because it pleases him, because I know him, because he loves me and I love him in return. He gave me life, so I owe it to him. 
These are the struggles I have when I come to a verse where Martha is doing everything. She knows if the Lord had been there, Lazarus would have been saved. She knows that he can still ask now, and God will give her what God will give Christ anything that he asks for. And he, she knows that he'll rise again on the last day. She knows the promises to the children of Israel. But Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 26, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And this is the true question. This is what it all comes down to. Everything you want to know. Believest thou this? When it comes to Christ, do you believe him? Do you believe he is who he is? Because he still lives today. If you're born again, he lives in you. And you are to be the proof to the world that Christ still lives. The glory of God inside of each one that is born again. The opportunity we have to shine as a light in this dark world. We know that the time is coming. We know that the judgment is near. And we've been going through Isaiah, and let me tell you, we've been going through the toughest chapters, I think, in the entire Bible the last couple of weeks. I don't know, 16 to 24, it just, those are real tough, tough chapters to get through. And we can tell because the numbers keep getting less and less and less. And people are reading these things thinking, I have no idea what he is talking about. It, it's okay. It's okay. Come. Pray with us. Be with us. We are to shine as a light. We are to love one another. We are to be gathered together. We are to show the world what Christ is like. We don't see Christ missing out on anything. We see him there. And even though they may have felt like he didn't come when they wanted him right then and there. He came. He was there. And he was there at exactly the right time. Because had he had come too early, we're going to see all these people wouldn't have seen what takes place. They would have missed out. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, I need you here right now. And I'll come to a passage like this and I think, but if it's going to bring other people, if my parents are going to get to see, if my cousins are going to get to see, take your time. Take your time. I can wait. I can, I can endure. Only by grace that is given, not of my own strength. But this is the question that every person is asked. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which had come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. So now Martha comes back secretly and tells Mary where the Lord is. And this was the intention, that Mary would go out by herself 
to speak with the Lord. But we see that was not God's intention. We see that there's a big crowd that follows Mary out to meet with the Lord there. Verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. The same thing that Martha said. They had the same reaction. Where were you? If you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. And sometimes I think we look at God as this, respectfully, this almighty, omniscient power. The one that has set all things into motion, that holds the universe in the palm of his hand, that breathed things into existence. He knows all things, so nothing should, he should really have no emotion. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He knows what's coming, when it's coming, why it's coming, how it's coming, and who's bringing it. So God doesn't feel, does he? It doesn't hurt him when we disobey. It doesn't hurt him when we're mean to our brothers and sisters. Christ paid for all those things, right? No harm, no foul. It's taken care of, done away with. God knew we were going to do it when he sent his son to die for us. That's not the character of the Savior I serve. He cares. He cares for every single person. When we are grieved, he is grieved. When we are joyful, he is joyful. When we are broken, he comforts us. Verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. It's funny that um, this verse has been allocated to Bible trivia. Shortest verse in the Bible. John 11.35, Jesus wept. We've turned it into something that loses the power that's in it. Every kid, oh, I'll recite that verse. Jesus wept. Why is he weeping? Why is our creator, the one who came to save us, who knows all things, able to raise Lazarus, able to do anything he desires, why would he ever weep? Just change it. Fix it. Make it, go, make it be better. That's the attitude I used to have with my mom and dad. And stuff would happen when I was a kid. And I, you know, my brother and I would horse around and break something. And it's like, uh, what do we do? Oh, we take it to mom and dad. They make it better. They fix things. They don't get upset. Until we broke something that was handed down from generation to generation. 
something that couldn't be replaced. <laughs> and you see them in tears. This thing meant something to them. Can't be fixed, can't be replaced, never be the same. And you see him weep and you know something is seriously wrong. Mom and dad fix things, they make it better. It's amazing when we think that Jesus was overcome with this kind of compassion, this kind of sorrow, that when presented with the mourning of these people over the death of Lazarus, what sin had done to the world, what sin had done to people, the suffering it had caused, thinking, I created all this for a purpose, knowing that this would take place, and now I'm here living in this reality that this is taking place in front of my eyes. These are people that I know in the flesh. And this is sin working in this world. And he was troubled. He groaned in the spirit, and he wept. We can't comprehend the depth of the emotion, but we do get to know a little bit more of our Lord and Savior, how he feels, how he reacts, and that what happens to us and the things that we do may please him or may trouble him. Do we make the Lord weep? When we are living our lives day to day, getting up, too busy. Let me tell you, if I come home and I get done with work and I have stuff to do and Kathy wants to hang out and I say, sorry, I'm too busy, that's, that doesn't go well. That's, that's not a good uh, response. And sometimes it's, okay, let's try that again. I want to go do this. It's like, okay, then we'll go do that. I'm not busy anymore. We need to make time. The Lord made time. We should do it in return. This idea, Jesus wept, verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. This idea of when we are waiting on the Lord, it doesn't mean that we have all faith and all knowledge and know exactly how things are going to work out. Martha here was saying, you know, Lord, <laughs> almost like, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Okay, roll away the stone. Well, you know, he probably stinks. So don't roll it away. Well, don't you believe that I can... He doesn't really say it. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Okay, Lord. Okay. Roll away the stone. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. All these things that the Lord has done, the ministry that he's had, the teaching, people still don't believe. People still want to kill him. Verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So it was the glory of God that Christ called Lazarus from the dead or that these people believed that Christ was the one that was sent from the Father in heaven. The goal was not to just raise Lazarus from the dead. If the goal was to raise Lazarus from the dead, he would have went right away. He would have been there before he died. He wouldn't have let him die. The goal is that people would believe on him. So when we talk about our Christian life, when we talk about things that we do for the Lord, are we doing these things so that people would believe in Christ? That's a hard question to ask. And it's a hard question to be serious about. And we may walk out of here and continue on our merry way. But I think we're all in a place right now, in this assembly in particular, with different things going on, different situations coming to light, different ministries that we're all involved in. And we're all kind of taking a step to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I manage what you've given me? Am I being shrewd? Am I being clever? We, I, 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 that was a beautiful message this morning. This idea that the wicked are shrewd about things. They're clever. They figured out how to get around things. I have an uncle that's from Denmark. Uh, he came over here when he was six years old with his family. And when he was 15, his mother was sick. And the family went back to Denmark for the health care that they provided in Denmark. And he stayed, 15 years old. Got a job at a liquor store, rented an apartment, and made it happen. Just worked hard, went to school. He was a, he was a white, red-headed Danish boy growing up in La Puente, where he was the absolute minority. He was the only white, red-headed kid, I think, for 20 miles. And he tells me stories of when you come here, you can, you can work hard and you can make things happen. And see, he was telling me in Denmark, things are set up to where as long as you become a citizen and work the papers and this and that, you can get free health care. You can get things taken care of. 
government will provide for you, which is all fine as long as we're all Danish people. Well, all of a sudden, immigrants started moving in, and it doesn't feel as good. It feels like they're stealing from you because they're not one of us. That's the idea that he has. They, they, aren't, they aren't a Danish person. They're just taking. They're shrewd. They're clever. They figured it out how to protect themselves. When we look at things in the light of eternity, are we figuring things out? Are we just going about in the way that things are supposed to be going about? Or are we truly taking the time to figure things out, to deal shrewdly with what the Lord has given us? All these things were done for the glory of God. The Lord getting the message, waiting two days, coming when he came, speaking to whom he spoke to, first to Martha, then to Mary, all the people gathered around, calling forth to move away the stone, praying out loud so that others could hear. He could have raised Lazarus from where he was and sent an angel to roll away the stone. And Lazarus could have come back and told everyone the story. But that's not how it happened. It happened a specific way for a specific purpose. And I think that's the goal of our Christian life. What's our purpose here? Are we living and fulfilling our purpose? We were saved for the glory of God. What are we doing with this life? It says here in verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Now believe it or not, the miracle that the Lord has done in a born-again believer's life is of way more significance than what he did to Lazarus. We have been given the Spirit of God. We have been given new life. We have the ability to work the works of God, to co-labor with our Lord and Savior. The hardest thing for somebody that is a non-believer to understand is that they are absolutely incapable of doing one good thing in the eyes of God until they get saved. Absolutely incapable. That shocks people because it just doesn't seem right. And the idea that they forget is, well, what in your life are you doing so that God may get 100% of the glory? The answer is nothing if you're not a born-again believer, because you can't. But now, those of us that are, what are we doing that's different? What are we doing that's different than a non-believer? Are we striving? Are we going after things? And even if we are, even if they are around and they saw the change, they see the new life, they see the life that you have, that you never had before, what the Lord has done. In verse 46 it says, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They still didn't believe this is what we're up against. We're up against doing the Lord's will perfectly in our lives and people still not believing. That's the thing I'm afraid of. 
with my extended family, with everyone that I know. I can lead this walk. I can grow in the Lord. And in the end, they still may not believe. But if that's what I'm up against, I can't slack off. I can't be weak. I can't slow down. I can't stop growing. And I think we've gotten away from challenging one another to grow in the Lord. Not that we know more. Not that we can answer more questions. Not that we've figured out this beautiful type in the scripture of something that can be explained only to those that have studied the word in the Greek and the Hebrew and know all of these different things. But simple things. What the Lord is like. What the Lord desires. Is the Lord pleased? Because we're up against the world that even if they see all these amazing miracles that the Lord has done, still won't believe. And it's a sad thing. And we don't have much time. And we need to manage our time wisely. This isn't a very happy message. And I apologize. My wife is going to, she's going to tell me, so don't worry. I'll, I'll get mine later. But I think it's something that needs to be said. And, you know, eventually if you're tired of hearing it, they'll stop asking me to speak. And you won't have to hear it anymore. But the Lord will still have the burden in each one's hearts to continue to grow. What are we doing with our lives? In case we have forgotten, they don't belong to us anymore. They're not our own life. We live for a purpose. We live for our Lord and Savior. In the passages we've gone through in Isaiah, he's pronouncing woes on the judgments that come to the nations. All these judgments that fall. And the one thing that's clear with Isaiah is that he's sorrowful for all these things happening. Even though these people may be enemies of Israel, he pronounces a woe that this judgment has come. Do we look to the Lord's coming? Are we going to be sorrowful for those that don't believe? Do we have our eyes fixed to the Lord's return, knowing that he can come at any moment, that any moment... Our time here is finished, and we no longer have any more time. And soon we'll have to sit in front of him or bow before him and discuss all the things that we did, whether good or bad. We see that Isaiah is sorrowful, and I can't help but be too when you see that the Lord's coming means that judgment's coming too. There's a lot of people in this world that don't know Christ. We are the way that they get to know him. There is no plan B. The church is the only plan that he has for right now. We continue to pray for mercy and grace, but we also pray for one another, that we would be the light that Christ intended, because we remember that this is not just something we 
read to learn things. We read this so that we may know that the Lord is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. The life that we now live, we live for, we live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that the hearts in the assembly here, the brothers and sisters that are gathered around, would not be discouraged, would not be depressed, but Father, would be uplifted, that they would be reminded of the day that they were saved, that they would be reminded of the day that they were called out of darkness into this glorious light, that they were given a purpose, that they were given these wonderful works to walk in. Father, that we are ones to love one another. You have given us a family, ones that will be with us and love us for all eternity. You protect us, you guide us, you comfort us, you do all things so that we may love you. Father, what more would you have to do to gain our whole heart? You've given your son, and we just pray that as we continue to walk in this world, the time that you've given, the mercy you've shown, and the grace that we have received, we pray that we may be the true lights in this world that you desire, that are pleasing to your heart, that we would have a love for the lost, that we would be doing everything that we can to build the kingdom of God, to build the church, to do the things that would be pleasing. Father, we love you because you first loved us, and we know that you loved us because you sent your Son. And we see in your word how he loved and how he was troubled because of sin. Father, we pray that we may not be troubling to the Lord, but that we may be ones that the Lord rejoices in. Father, we ask a blessing upon everyone here that we would strive to run the race well, to run to win. Father, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, the one who died for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.